Green Room Radio is presented by A24's punk thriller, Green Room. What do they want? Green Room Radio! Hello and welcome to another episode of Green Room Radio. I'm your host, Tony Retman. Today our guests are Walter Schreifels and Arthur Smilios, two of the founding members of the late 80s New York hardcore band Gorilla Biscuits. But that band is just the tip of the iceberg in regards to their musical histories. As far as Walter goes, in the same time frame as GB being around, he was also in Youth of Today and Warzone. And as the 90s crept up, Walter formed Quicksand with members of other New York hardcore bands like Bold, Burn, and Collapse, and along with Into Another and Orange 9mm, forged a post-core scene within the early part of the decade. In the 2000s, Schreifels formed the bands Rival Schools and Walking Concert. Working from the pool of musicians he knew from the New York hardcore scene again, these bands featured members of Youth of Today and Bold. Walter's current projects include the psychedelic rock band Dead Heavens and Vanishing Life, a band also featuring members of Rise Against and You Will Know Us by the Trail of Dead. Arthur was a member of the New York hardcore bands Token Entry and Underdog, as well as Gorilla Biscuits, and was a founding member of Civ in the 90s, who brought hardcore to a new audience via videos on MTV and opening for Kiss. In the present day, besides playing in the reformed version of Gorilla Biscuits, he also plays in World Be Free, a band featuring members of Judge, Youth of Today, Strife, and Terror, and their debut LP, The Anti-Circle, was released in the winter of this year on Revelation Records. So, without further ado... Let's get into our conversation with Walter and Arthur here on Green Room Radio. All right. What are so, we talking about? Eh, stuff. Stuff and things. Uh, all right. Well, Walter, Arthur, yeah. thanks for showing up. How do you say your last name? Um, Smilios. Smilios. All right. Sorry. I was trying to think of something funny and I couldn't. I have, I have it right. You're just going with Smilios. That's <laughs> pretty funny. funny actually. <laughs> yeah. Because it's one of those things like I've, you know, I've read it all my yeah. life. And yeah. I'd be like, I've never have to say that out loud. Who cares? Somebody <laughs> said it perfectly the other day. I was shocked. Yeah. Smilios. How that, would you not say it perfectly? Smilios. Yeah. And technically, by the rules of grammar, because there's one L, it should be Smilios. Mm. Smilios. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, so let's kind of start off, if I am correct, was Arthur kind of the guy that took you, Walter, kind of... To your first shows or like down to CBs and things like that? Arthur definitely introduced me to the CBs world. Um, I was into punk rock and, you know, hardcore too. Um, and we met at Wallbounds. I was the wagon uh, leader, team leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go out and get the wagons that were left in the parking lot and bring them back and put them in the, in the spot. So Arthur came in uh, and just a rookie. You know, wet, wet behind the ears. <laughs> you know, no knowledge of wagging. Just like a whatever. puppy, big, big puppy paws, <laughs> and he wanted to learn how to wagoneer. So I taught him, and uh, and in turn, you know, we talked about music, and uh, eventually, um, yeah, we started hanging out, and I started, and because he was in with the token entry guys, I met them, and uh, uh, saw some shows with them, and started going to CBS, mm. and. How did bands start where you guys were together? Like, how did did that come soon after that? Or we used to just play in Arthur's yeah. bedroom. We would like yeah. play Channel Three songs mm-hmm. and uh, and Social Distortion songs because Arthur could play and I could play. And uh, yeah, we used to just jam in his bedroom, like singing these these songs. That yeah. was fun. That was, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then who went on? Who left New York first in a band? Was it you or Arthur? 
I, well, I left in the summer of 86 with Token Entry. Okay. And like the most impromptu tour, there were like two shows booked. So we mm-hmm. basically spent a summer in California. Um, and, you know, it was really, really cool experience and like learning, you know, learning how, how to be on tour, how to live off of limited money in a, bu- in a van, mm-hmm. a bus, in a van with no, no air conditioning. Mm-hmm. So I technically went away first, but Walter did the first actual tour tour. The next summer, right? Yeah, you went. That's when you went out with you today, right? We started. Uh, I mean, the idea of doing a national tour. I mean, we were in high school, so that was pretty far fetched and hardcore. Didn't kind of make you think that that was what was going to happen. But uh, we started playing in Connecticut or Albany. I think Albany might have been our first show out of town as Gorilla Biscuits, and I believe Arthur was in the band at that time. Were you in? In the band yeah, at that time. yeah. The, uh, it was like the only one was the CB show, and uh, yeah. Time. So that was uh, so you know we got a taste of what other sa- towns were like, and um, and that was very exciting. And yeah, Arthur had gone out with Token Entry. I mean, he was playing Token Entry at that point. Were you know more of an established group in the hardcore world, mm-hmm. and then we started playing locally. And then I finally got to do a national tour in '87 when I had joined Youth Today. Mm-hmm. And what were the uh Going out on the road, what were the sort of contrasts you saw from like going to CBs every weekend or something like that? Like the shows that you were playing, mm-hmm. uh, what was sort of what was the first thing that struck you? Like, well, this isn't New York. Like, this is different. Uh-huh. Like, you know, what- I felt like we were coming from the future <laughs> and arriving in their you know backdated uh, scenes. Like, yeah. I felt like we were our scene was just. You know, even scenes like D.C. and and Detroit, scenes that had made music that I was inspired by, or mm-hmm. Boston, like, they were just not happening like New York scene was. Like, there was so much variety and, and uh, just excellence, mm-hmm. you know, on every level. So we were going to these towns and we could just feel that we were blowing people's minds with our, you know, straight edge, hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, power play that we yeah. were doing. yeah. I, well, my first experience was California, yeah. and the thing that was, I just the way kids danced was different, mm-hmm. the way they they talked was different, mm-hmm. um, just just the whole vibe. I remember um, we played a pretty big show at the farm with Seven Seconds and in San Francisco, and I just remember thinking, you can attest to this too, how different, mm-hmm. especially the Bay Area scene was, yeah. and it was so much more punk than it was, I think, hardcore. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the way, and this is pre-internet, yeah. so now everything is just kind of, you know. It's just cookie cutter. You go everywhere and you see the same things and whatnot, and and yeah. uh, not to disparage anything, but uh, that's just re- I think indicative of the culture at large. Like the hardcore world at that time was just a lot more insular. There was no yeah. So I think in that way, like sure, I felt some sort of New York vibe. You know, like mm-hmm. some sort of you know cockiness about that. But at the same time, I was totally appreciative of. All the people we're meeting and the variety, like Arthur mentioned, the San Francisco scene, which had, you know, so much, you know, with Maximum Rock and Roll there, mm-hmm. that was very influential scene to, to kind of see how it how it clicked, how it worked. And, uh, you know, we stayed at Maximum Rock and Roll House, which was, you know, hung out with Tim Yohannan, stayed there multiple times. So while on the one hand, Maximum Rock and Roll was pretty unfriendly to New York hardcore in general, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were there hanging out with them and we, you know, were friends with them. Yeah. Um, and you know, in Southern California, there was just a big scene, like just a lot of people. And, um, I think youth today's music connected with, you know, the, the suburban aspect of Southern California really, you know, hand in glove. And, um, but you know, it's like, while, you know, we went through the South 
you know, and that was just straight up. There was really cool kids, of course, and there was just straight up racist skinheads that mm -hmm. were just there. There just wasn't enough people to break up the scene. So everyone, if there was a punk show and the band had a shaved head, they would come. Yeah. And I think the other thing with that sort of era is that, you know, that was at a time where like, it seemed like it was almost like, uh, like arena or dinosaur rock, like GBH are coming to town or like bands that were around They could forever. headline, you know, they could bring people out, you know, yeah. if they, if you were associated with that British wave of, uh, of punk, like anything connected to the sex pistols, yeah. um, then you could fill out the larger rooms. Yeah. So, uh, but that's what was cool about New York was that the music we were making was very, uh, you know, and it wasn't just the things that me and Arthur were involved in. There was just so much variety that um, it was just a general quality level is pretty good. You know, you could be into New York hardcore and just be into the stuff that's kind of like in the breakdown category, or mm -hmm. you could be into the just, you know, kind of skinhead category or just in the kind of like Reagan youth peace punk rock yeah. category there's so many different worlds in which to explore mm. and you said like you know this is a pre-internet world so going out on these tours it was like every day was sort of a, a mystery in a way like what's the show going to be like are people going to understand like yeah. understand what we're doing like was there any instances where that was just just a, a downhill thing. Like, you what, know, any kind who of, will be there? Will the show happen? Will the show happen? Will, <laughs> will, will How do we get there? Will yeah. we be eating? I have to read a map. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, all that kind of stuff. It's fun. I mean, we were teenagers. So, I, I, you know, being the age I am now and trying to think of, like, if I saw a bunch of teenagers in a van with shaved heads, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, what would I make of that? Like, is that allowed? And... Mm. Uh, you know, and the people that we were working with were teenagers. And yeah. so, uh, and they were all doing it, you know, with phones. And, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of been, you know, in all kinds of different stuff. When you talk about things that happened in the 80s, that was, that's just a part of the story. It's just that it wasn't, you couldn't use Google to find yeah. the club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did. Be, I, I didn't have a license, so I had to do shot the shotgun shifts twice as much. So yeah. I became like a freaking cartographer, man. I was amazing <laughs> at reading maps, yeah. which I like maps anyway. But, and I mean, I know you probably experienced this too. Where you're like, all right, we're in this town. How do we get there? Somebody has a quarter to call the promoter. Yeah. Is the show happening? Is it an actual club? Mm. I was just not doing any of that stuff. I was just oh, like, I didn't do it. I, I was <laughs> on the patience patrol. <laughs> Just like let let the adults let the people from Connecticut that knew how to drive figure it out, and I'll just not make any trouble right. and try to keep it light. I was yeah when I was out with Underdog, I was like that too. I was like oh, I'm gonna do the shot, I'm gonna do the extra shotgun shifts, and yeah. I'll let the adults take care of like calling the promoters and everything. I know I know my place in the pecking order. Yeah, yeah. no one's gonna listen to my ideas about it, yeah. <laughs> nor do I have any ideas yeah. about it. So I'm just gonna sit back. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I think now we'll take our first break for music. Let's okay. take a call. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> first time caller, long time listener. No? <laughs> I think we lost him. All right. Well, we'll... we'll uh, it's, a bad, it's a bad connection. We'll get back to you, Bert. <laughs> Hopefully you give us a call, turn on your radio. Turn down your radio. Um, so which, which one do you want to kind of go first with a set of music? I don't know. You can go. Uh, I'll go first. And the f first song that I, I thought of when you asked me some cool songs that I like was uh, a song that GB used to cover called Drug for Youth. And uh, this was by The Abused. And there was these little gem records like mm -hmm. The Abused EP that uh, when we first started 
getting into the scene, these things, the records were usually only a few years old, but they already looked like ancient artifacts. And I feel like the abused record was relatively, like I bought it at some records. It was like relatively available at that time. Yeah, I got it too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of these other records, like if you want to find the antidote record or something, you'd have to get in the real collector scene. And um, this record's amazing. It's just like New York hardcore when all that DC kind of stuff and, and the classic, you know, touch and go stuff was going on. New York had really, really cool, aggressive, interesting lyrics uh, kind of bands. And uh, but there was something more primitive and edgy about it and um, and abused one of those bands. So this is, a, a, a you know, while New York, I think, was pretty associated with, uh, you know, more nihilistic take than, you know, the enlightened DC vibe or. Um, even I feel like the somewhat artier touch and go vibe, although Meat Men were on touch and go, and maybe it wasn't that arty, but you're the guy that wrote the book about it. So, um, I did. Um, and uh, The Abused, get into it. We used yeah. to cover this song. Drop me out! Drop me out! Drop me out! Drop me out! 
set of music curated by Walter Schreifels, one of our two guests today here on Green Room Radio. Walter went New York Hardcore Classic on us with that set. Uh, right there, you heard Urban Waste from their self-titled debut 7-inch from 1982 with the track Public Opinion. On top of that, the Beastie Boys from their Polywog Stew EP, also from 82 on the Rat Cage label. Track was Transit Cop, and at the beginning of that set, even more classic New York Hardcore with the Abuse from the classic Loud and Clear EP from 1983. Drug Free Youth was the name of the song you heard there. Oh, by the way, uh, that EP, along with the Abuse's demo, was reissued a few years ago by the Radio or Him label on an LP titled Loud and Clear. So uh, pick it up if you want to know the roots of some of the stuff you listen to today in regards to hardcore punk. Okay? Okay. Now, let's get back into our talk with Walter Schweifels and Arthur Smilios here on Green Room Radio. Let's, uh, let's kind of get into the time sort of in the late 80s where GB... And other New York bands finally kind of started to tour Europe. Like, what was that like? Was were, were they already? Was there a preconceived idea of what you guys were doing? Like, again, was it sort of like a mystery? They didn't know what to expect. Like, what was that like? Um, the first that I thought of Europe. I mean, you'd see about it in the uh, in the Max Rock and Roll scene reports. What was going on in, you know, all these different countries, Czechoslovakia. You know, there'd be some little scene report on it, and. Uh, you know, you have the ideas of when you get into punk, what's going on in the UK, you know, would be something that you'd imagine in some way. But there was really no, uh, there was just no bands going over there. I think the Cro-Mags went over opening for Motorhead, but I don't know that they really were playing any of the real punk rock spots. But we got an offer from Europe. It was kind of then the last bit of Youth Today. Uh, it ended up being our last tour, but we got an offer from a, a company in, in Hanover that said they would bring us over to Europe, they would pay for our flights mm. and pay for our food 
and all of our hotels or our lodging mm. and at the end of it give us five thousand mm. dollars which we didn't even want to tell our friends because it was just such a high figure yeah. that they would think that we would so have sold out yeah. uh what it ended up being was uh i think 60 plus dates in squats mm. in europe uh that were like full mm. like uh and eating squat you know bucket gruel, gruel. and uh i didn't bring a, a sleeping bag and it was the winter time and it's a lot of personal growth on mm. that trip for me um and uh it was amazing because again you know we were in really really good form youth today like we were just super powerful in, in as a band and as a you know our, our records and the whole thing, the momentum was really there. Uh, I, I would guess the, the one thing, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, would be Ray, the singer, was into Krishna consciousness and was really kind of struggling with, you know, this transition of how to keep youth today and keep his Krishna thing working mm -hmm. together. So we were, you know, we were just discussing death and religion the whole mm -hmm. time and we were starving and, uh, you know, Ray was trying to get us into Krishna consciousness and it was just a really far out trip to be in squats and be exposed to this left wing culture. Mm -hmm. And as in a way, like we came there, you know, in Nike baseball hats and champion sweatshirts and this whole kind of hyped up, amped up American clean cut look, mm -hmm. which was at that time, you know, I think Ronald Reagan was still president. Like this is the uh, anathema to the leftist scene that mm -hmm. we were coming in to basically, you know, usurp in in a lot of ways but yet what i think became more revealed was that we were preaching left-wing politics mm -hmm. ultimately very effectively mm -hmm. um in some new guys you know that they weren't used to seeing you know they would accept it if it was you know spiked up tattooed and wearing black mm -hmm. but for it to come in this suburban american pick package yeah. was was sort of they couldn't get wrap their hands heads around it and uh Every night that we played, I felt that we had converted people and that we had changed the way people were thinking about this kind of music. Mm -hmm. And um, again, this, this maybe sounds just like, you know, bragging or something, but like that's really how I felt. And I think it was mainly because we had the whole New York scene behind us. We were interpreting it. We mm -hmm. were playing like Cro-Mag song. We were playing Sick of It All songs. We were mm -hmm. spreading the word for these for the bands from our hometown and we were yeah. taking like all our experience from that group and bringing it to bear on these mm -hmm. European kids that were just what <laughs> they didn't they were like I didn't know this even existed yeah. this flavor yeah but there's also if you see those pictures it's kind of funny because there's a lot of European kids that obviously were like looking at pictures like you know there's like a lot of Euro kids that are like yeah dressed up and they didn't quite get the style right yeah <laughs> but they were trying they hey I mean, now, you know, again, yeah. like all the things are the same everywhere. You used, to be able, you used to not be able to get, you know, but we were learning from them too. Like we came back wearing these little European scarves and, you know, <laughs> all kinds of like little ridiculous things that our friends would come home and would just be like, what are you wearing? You, it's a man purse. It's what? like you don't get it. You've not traveled as yeah. we have yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Um, when did you first go over there? Oh God! I was much later. Yeah, I had I had, uh, I had left uh, GB, so I didn't I didn't go Probably over until the nineties. Yeah, I didn't go over till the nineties. Oh, okay. So there was like 
it was residual. I mean, this is the beginning of the internet. We keep mm-hmm. going back to the internet. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of that era, but they were still very local flavors. And um, we played a bunch of squats. That was in uh, 95 with uh, opening for Sick of It All. And that was about two months. And we did like actual clubs, but we did some squats too. So there, there was that. And, and the squats that we did were still affiliated. Like they were still independent. They were tolerated by the governments, especially like Leipzig. The Co- Coney Island, mm-hmm. which is still around, was like, but was a serious squat then. I mean, this is just on the, you know, a couple of years uh, on the heels of um, German reunification. So there was still a lot of polarization and whatnot. But I didn't get it to the extent that Walter got it because mm-hmm. by then, you know, Sick of It All had gone over a few times. Right. A lot of bands had gone over. Mm-hmm. So there was this kind of, uh, this, um, this, this admixture of cultures and, and an exchange. But, uh, you know, from going, in, you know, in the, in the years after, subsequently, it's you, you know I do now look back and see that it was there still was those that that, that there was there were more local flavors yeah and whatnot and those squats they were some of the best shows man they were great shows I well thought. they'd be often subsidized by the government so right yeah the 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 Copenhagen squat was yeah so they would have uh, you know very low entrance fees and. Uh, catering and uh you know there'd be teenagers running these these Mm -hmm. places and um so i think it exposed a lot of people to the music you know uh and gorilla biscuits were very fortunate to follow up within the same year on the youth today tour and uh i could see from the difference from the youth today tour having gone there Mm -hmm. how you know, when I said people's minds were being blown and all that kind of stuff, the result, even just mm-hmm. six months later, everyone was had had kind of changed up their style. There was mm-hmm. a new wave of bands. There was like new fanzines. And it's the same thing we experienced in uh, the United States when we did uh, the Youth Today tour there. Um, I think Ray, I would give credit. I mean, I played great bass and I was I was into it, mm-hmm. um, but I would definitely lay the credit to Ray's vision of, uh, you know, what he and his ability to communicate his vision in, yeah. in that format. He just was the right messenger. Yeah. He's a shaman. Yeah, he, he is. He's a, you know, he's a natural born, uh, you know, leader and, uh, and he, people just gravitate to him. Yeah. Um, so as far as, you know, you guys just got done a GB tour of Europe. So what looking back now, like what are the similarities and what are the differences between touring back then through Europe or, you know, well, for us, it's just amazing. The differences (laughs) are amazing. I mean, it's just to us, we're just like, what, Mm -hmm. you know, here we are getting to do this. We just, we're having such a great time Mm. and we're exposed to kids that are, you know, teenagers or the, the, the kids of people that saw us the first time around And the range is from, you know, little kids that aren't even teenagers yet to people that are older than us, you know. And it's this whole family vibe. And, uh, well, we're not playing squats anymore. You know, we've all moved on from that. All the squatters have gone legit, you know. And uh, so we're really getting the best end of it. And um, it's inspiring to us. And I think as players – you know, we're just better as players yeah. and we have a better perspective on our place in the whole thing. And I think Civ really kind of focuses in on that and seeing it as, 
you know, when you talk about GBH at that time, you know, mm. some sort of name that people can gather around mm. that we, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't put us in the same realm as GBH, but that enough people are familiar with Gorilla Biscuits that we can go over there and play and Touche More can open for us and Modern Life is War. Mm. And it's good for them too, because yeah. they're getting to play in front of people that uh, wouldn't ordinarily see them, mm-hmm. but could relate to their music. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's like we're playing with the kids, and mm-hmm. these are great yeah. bands. And like, how do we stack up? How right. how can we? Uh, what can we learn from them? And mm-hmm. and you know, luckily we have our songs that we know and, and and all that. But how do we interpret them? And and it's just it's inspiring, and mm-hmm. we're we're very blessed. Mm. Uh, Arthur, what do you think about that? As far I, as like maybe like. Comparing it to, like you said, like the first tour of Token Entry or something like that, like the tour touring that you do now is, you know, a grown man. Yeah. Uh, you know, what are the what are the the similarities and also what are the like gigantic differences? Um, well, similarities that you get just as excited about every show. Okay. And I mean, you know, we've all logged a lot of miles mm. and a lot of shows, and it's you know one of the barometers for me is is it still exciting mm-hmm. and i know that when you know when it comes time that we're about to go on i know that i'm you know champing at the bit i want to go i want to yeah. play and i hate when the set's over mm-hmm. so that's similar the difference is that we're such i think such better musicians now and so much more comfortable and the like with gorilla biscuits the way we walter touched on it, the way we interpret the songs is really different and um but they're still the same songs i mean they're obviously recognizable yeah. but we you know the and I think a lot of this is, is it has to do with Luke and his maturation. He's because you know he's the heartbeat, and he just oh. has this groove about oh, him. He's amazing. Yeah, he has this groove about him, and and it's just we all, you know, hook onto that little locomotive, and that sets the, you know the pace and the tone. I mean, to um, geek out, it's like Luke's drumming is so awesome, and Arthur is bass playing. I mean, if you listen to Grill Biscuits, however much anyone that's listening has listened to it, it's like Arthur's bass playing is he's just on another level than mm-hmm. than the 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 group that we came up with. I mean there's other people that are good in other ways, but the way he's good and the way Luke are good is so complimentary and they're so musical mm-hmm. that it allows me and Alex to just I don't know, we I, I don't really feel like I have to play super tight. I just have mm-hmm. to play with passion and meet at the spots that we decide to meet. So everything's just up in the air and then it's very tight. Yeah. And uh and Siv somehow is able to, I mean, he's physically able to take the punishment of doing this yeah. this gig because mm. it is brutal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, he broke his ankle in, in uh, Argentina when we, we toured down in South America. So I did all the Brazil shows. I mean, it's a long story, but I, I don't know. I mean, I played three shows and I it was it was brutal, man. <laughs> These kids are like so happy, but they're yeah. like full grown men, some of them, <laughs> jumping on top of you. Yeah. And uh, so Siv's able to to do that. And he's also, and it's such, such a thing with hardcore is like to be able to interpret what the song means before it begins and to, mm. to, to rustle up the emotions of the crowd. And I just think we're, we're in a, such a nice position and we're so blessed to like, we're f- we've been friends for 30 years. We met in high school mm-hmm. and we get to go travel in Europe or, you know, play festivals and do all this. We get invited to all this cool shit. Yeah. You know? And one more thing, Civis seems to be the only person that in his 40s, his vocal range has actually increased. Yeah. Yeah, we're all better. And I think not only because we've gotten b- better in v- some, you know, whatever musical regard, but I think uh, 
we bring a cool uh, understanding through, you know, getting old, you know, from <laughs> from the things that happen to us in life. And, and uh, you know, I think that when the music was going on at the time, um, I think there was uh, almost like we didn't fit into it as well as we do now <laughs> in, in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure plenty of people would disagree, but that's how <laughs> I feel about it. Um, <clears throat> kind of backtracking a little, as far as New York goes in the late 80s <laughs> section, um, it's kind of the only place where like hardcore and like hip hop kind of crossed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't anywhere else. Do you think it was just basically that this is like... Well, this was New York was hard, was hip hop. Yeah, at that time. exactly. It was just exactly, no yeah. LA stuff just sounded like not good at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That they didn't really pick up until the, the thing you know the early 90s yeah. and so in the 80s new york was hip-hop and it was born here yeah yeah you know that's where when we went to junior high school that's what was coming up when we went mm -hmm. to high school that was what was happening and when we could go to clubs that's mm -hmm. where everyone was and yeah. and uh and it was on independent record labels just like hardcore was yeah. on yeah. independent mm -hmm. record labels so it was it was uh corresponding you couldn't live in queens and 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 not be you know Explosive. dealing with it and 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 it was great. So, yeah. you know, we naturally gravitated towards it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a part, I mean, part of the geography. New York is yeah. really a condensed city. Yeah. And uh, New York was also far less populated in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you had, you know, the, 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 the flight of the 70s when Walter and I were coming of age and said in, in New York at that time, it was still empty buildings. It was mm -hmm. an underpopulated city. Yeah. And so, you know, there are fewer people, but you're still in this condensed space. So I think part of it was geography, especially like when you consider the Lower East Side where the, the hardcore scene was and right there, like the, 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 dem the demographics of, of the Lower East Side at the time yeah. were like there were no white people living down there. Mm. You got to you got to consider the hip hop per capita situation <laughs> yeah. at that point was pretty. The ratio yeah. was pretty, you know, yeah. extreme because you just got to eliminate all the, no the, the norms that live here now. Yeah. Mm. You know, and you're dealing with just basically hardcore kids and, and hip-hop kids. And both were ignored, like you said, by the mainstream. Yeah. It's yeah. like nobody wanted and anything to do with either one of them. And yeah, like, Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, but nobody wanted anything to do with hip-hop yeah. at that point. Nobody want, certainly didn't want anything to do with hardcore. Yeah, same, yeah. And uh, so there was like, you know, and like Walter said, you couldn't, couldn't live in New York and ride the subway. You know, I, I, I think I, Walter, what if we spent like probably 30% of our lives on the subway of our waking lives, you know? Especially you can, living in Astoria. Yeah. So coming in the city, you'd be on the train a lot. But yeah. it was, you know, that was what was going on at the time. If you see, you know, look at the pictures, see any of the yeah. documentaries from that era, it's just like breakdancing, graffiti, so, hip hop. It's so cool. And there's nothing that like we saw it the first time around. I had no appreciation for it. Could be, I'm, I'm going to be honest about it. I mean, I knew it was something special and I knew it was like this incredible subculture and there was some of it I liked, some I didn't like. But now in retrospect, I watch all these documentaries and I'm like, damn, I wish <laughs> I appreciated it more. Right, yeah. You know, like the clubs, Walter went out a lot more. And I went, like when I went to the hip hop clubs, I went with Walter who, mm -hmm. had, who was like, you used to go like to the world and all those places. And Tunnel. Yeah, and you're the one that took me to those places. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think of a lot of things you don't, sometimes when you're in, in it, you don't really, you know, it's the forest for the trees. You don't see how special something is. Yeah. You know, I mean, even with hardcore being completely immersed in it in the 80s, I, I knew we were onto something with New York because mm -hmm. there was a point, like in 1988 when I went on tour with Underdog, we had a seven-inch out. And we were playing over much bigger bands on the bill, mm -hmm. and people were showing up to every show because we were a New York band. So I knew right. we were onto something, something special. 
I didn't realize the extent of it. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody really did at that yeah. point. But um, yeah, the New York effect at that point was like you could play to more people because you were from New York. Yeah, mm-hmm. and bands that came to New York would play to less people because they weren't from yeah. New York. And yeah. so they would be excluded and just kind of not, no one was interested in them in New York City. Which is kind of sad because like most of the stuff that got me into hardcore yeah. was California. I mean, we, we weren't, we liked the stuff that we liked, yeah. you yeah. know, so we didn't, we weren't like, but definitely uh, we were just making the best stuff. You know, it was just obvious at that time. And, and, uh, and when I say we, I just mean probably a group of about 15 different bands that were yeah. ex- excelling mm. yeah and there's also that kind of like a fashion crossover too in a way like that kind of you know youth crew kind of look oh is my definitely, god yes the sneakers you know, the taken the, from the some, hoodies and the yeah, sneakers yeah, yeah. and everything yeah, yeah for sure for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean for us it went from you know this kind of punk sort of leather jacket doc martin's look mm. you know maybe thinking mike ness was the guy to to look like mm-hmm. to yeah, you know and then you know crossing into you know the dc look skateboarder yeah. look um into yeah something more like closer to uh uh michael j fox you know <laughs> <laughs> with a shaved head Alex B. Keaton. Yeah, you were going for more the the, 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 the you know more the Teen Wolf. Uh, Alex, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, then okay, the, yeah. the Alex B. Keaton vibe. Teen or he did wolf. wear a varsity jacket in that. Movie yeah, so you know you're wearing high we top got the sneakers. Dance moves from Teen wolf. You got your dance moves, which is kind of the wolf out mosh. <laughs> and uh, so that was a, a, a but for me going to Scott, I went to high school at LIC and in uh, Astoria. I mean that's you know Nas went to high school. Not not the same time as me, but that's like the the world that it was, and I was dressing like some sort of uh, Teen Wolf dude, and people just didn't know what to, to yeah, make yeah. of me, and yeah. I and I liked that, you know what I mean? That they couldn't sit because there were punk kids I- at my high school, but um, people could easily dismiss them and recognize them yeah. as punk, whereas me, they just didn't know what I was into. Yeah, yeah, and that was the thing with that. It was like I think I said this before. Like if I you know, I would go to high school wearing a varsity jacket and like the jocks be like, you're not, what are you on the chess team? Like, why right. are you wearing that? Yeah. Like they didn't. Yeah. Luckily at my high school, there were no jocks. Oh, yeah. you were very lucky. Though. Oh, yeah. I, my, well, I had two high school experiences. I went to initially to Newtown high school. Auto shop. Auto <laughs> sh- that's, that's what you guys had. had? Yeah. That was the main uh, thing. We just had like, they all made in, they all majored in abuse. <laughs> first. <laughs> well, the, McClancy, what, yeah. Yeah. That was after I first went to Newtown high oh, school Newtown, in okay. Jackson Heights. Mm-hmm. And that's where Johnny Thunders, Sil Sylvain, and Billy Mercy all went there, which is really cool. Yeah. They went there before me. I'm not that old. Yeah, yeah. And that was like a completely, and I was into New Wave at that point. I wasn't even into punk rock. And there was like one other New Wave kid, this kid named Chol, Chol Park. He was from Korea. And we, you know, we became friends, but there was a lot more tolerance. And then I transferred into McClancy High School, which is an all boys, not anymore, but it was an all boys Catholic high school. There were about a thousand it's not, kids. It's not, it's co No, co-ed it's co-ed now. now. Yeah. Wow. And uh, at the time, and that's that's where I met Siv, because uh, there were like I think three or four kids, five kids out of a thousand that were mm-hmm. punk rockers. It was Siv, uh, this kid, uh, this kid Danny, with whom we're still friends, Gus, myself, and oh my God, what was his name, Walter? Uh, at your school, yeah, at Clancy was yeah. it? Uh, it wasn't Tito. Didn't go there. Didn't no. Mo? 
No, Mo, but Mo wasn't really into. Mo like, was more new He was wave. just like peripheral. Yeah, there wasn't that many kids there. That, anyway, that so were into it. like I was dressing in creepers and red Doc Martens, mm-hmm. and Siv, Siv had white creepers and stuff. And you really like you took verbal abuse, and then it got physical. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where I was like, "Fuck!" Every <laughs> day, like I'd leave, and I'm like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen to me now?" Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, you know that was that was there were there were jocks, and it was mainly like these kids from you know, from a certain part of Rockaway that they had their worldview and mm. it was a very stringent and th- mm. narrow worldview and if you were outside of that you were a th- I don't know if it was a threat or they just like yeah I grew up in Rockaway yeah, mostly you yeah. so when I moved to uh, Astoria I felt like I had was in a land of you know equality and intolerance <laughs> I felt like I had just come I was in like San Francisco or something yeah. like that compared to Rockaway yeah because yeah. Astoria was interesting it was like indigenous punks one of the few yeah. neighborhoods yeah. in New York it, it because blew my mind everybody like we all congregated downtown mm-hmm. but when I because uh, I grew up in Jackson Heights and then I moved um, when I was like 14 15 or something I moved it to Astoria and, and with my dad and my at my grandparents house and I would I was like into punk rock but not I didn't know anything about like I was into like the the the, the entry level stuff, and right. I I didn't know about you know the real stuff, and then uh, that's when I ran into Ernie and Johnny from Token Entry, and they were way into it already. I mean, they had been in Gilligan's Revenge, played A Seven, everything. Right. So it was really really interesting that there was this indigenous punk scene, Astoria kids that were born and raised there, and they were into punk rock. And mm. on a summer night, you'd go to this place, the Pyramids, mm. and there were like anywhere from fifteen to fifty kids with skateboards and crew cuts or spiked hair or whatnot mm-hmm. and uh it was kind of cool because you, you, you had that that sense of belonging that is so lacking in high school i think mm-hmm. in general but then especially if you choose to be part of this you know eccentric subculture mm-hmm. so i like that it was working class kids too it wasn't oh, uh, yeah it wasn't arty kids no <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. it was very low like, i think the <laughs> the arty kids maybe came in from the suburbs more or from other cities like yeah D.C., Albany, uh, you know, maybe not Boston, but uh, yeah, but probably like RISD, that kind of right. kind of scene. But New York was like working class kids, yeah. you know, parents that were cops, garbage, you know, men, garbage men, yeah. firemen, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, and that was for me, you know, coming from Rockaway was definitely, you know, great. I loved it. Cool. So we'll break for another set of music. Do you have something in mind? Well, Walter? Walter reminded me when we, we used to play these songs in uh, in my bedroom, <laughs> my grandparents' house in Astoria, and it was a band that like really made the transition easy because it wasn't so hard, and it, there were incredible melodies and really thoughtful lyrics. It's um, Channel 3, oh, yeah. and uh, pretty much anything from After the Lights Go Out, but... Yeah. What's How about a good a one se- one? separate piece? Separate yeah. piece is the one I was thinking, I, I yeah. always thought that w- we would play this one at our <laughs> wedding, but... Uh, <laughs> In what? I thought we don't. I always thought we'd play this one at our wedding. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. Okay. I think I'm gonna be the next one to get married, so yeah. I'm gonna do it. Separate piece. It's a really great song. The lyrics are amazing. Yeah. It's about. Uh, it's sort of a cats in the cradle kind of tune. Yeah. Tune, you know, like us. The, the man, little boy, blue man, the moon. Yeah, one. yeah. And it's that, like and a, it's very clever lyrics yeah, too. Yeah. About great. They should. These guys. I mean, it's a classic. It's a cliche, but they should have been bigger. They really yeah, should have. No, they they. Had that perfect, like you said, like merger of like melody and just like and Mike McGran's lyrics were just yeah. Like, in the song especially, I mean, it's just all about like the rot, the rot of the American dream and what what a lie it is, yeah. And just about you know how difficult it is to grow up and about broken families, which Walter and I both came mm-hmm. from broken families. So mm-hmm. 
you spoke know, to us definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And they, I think they had mm-hmm. a, something almost more in kin with uh, to uh, the replacements at the same time totally, than yeah. they did to the Circle Jerks, and that's probably why they suffered. Yeah, uh, and you know, but anyway, it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool.
Arthur's selections for his set of music here for today's episode of Green Room Radio. That was music from Arthur's current band, World Be Free, a track with guest vocals from our other guest today, Walter Schreifels. From their LP, The Anti-Circle, released a few months back on Revelation Records, that one's called I'm Done. Before that, some music again featuring Walter, Rival Schools, with the track Good Things, another selection of Arthur's, and starting us off... California's Channel 3 from their classic After the Lights Go Out, 12-inch from 1983 on the Posh Boy label. We heard Separate Piece. And now let's get into wrapping up our conversation with Walter Schreifels and Arthur Smilios here on Green Room Radio. So um, since we're kind of here, you know, the movie Green Room is about a, you know, a band on tour and a show that goes horribly wrong, even though we were kind of touching on this before. Do you have like one show in your mind that was like the worst show ever uh from punk days yeah, it, it doesn't matter like I, it, actually i think it's more interesting if it's like from after that because like every punk band has a shitty show like you know but it's kind of more interesting when it's like you're more established act and <laughs> you get a crappy end of the stick but it's for you it's, is it's the film you. uh a, is it a dramatization of a of a group uh i guess yeah, it would it's not be. like a real yeah it's a fictional film yeah okay and ben kingsley's in it Patrick no, Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Often Captain confused Picard. for. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And, t- and you know, uh, like I said, so this makes us like great domes. Mates, mates yeah, on the friends. Enterprise. Yes, yeah, friends, so yeah. I'm like his, yeah. I'm ben his, Kingsley uh, would just, I would love to see him in command of some sort of starship. So would I. I'd, 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 be, I'd be hard pressed to choose which one I'm going to do. He would be a good it. rogue starship commander, <laughs> like one that just like, just says, screw the prime directive. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Picard is very much about the prime director. Problem? You got a problem? You could be Ben Kingsley's number one. I'll be Picard's number one. Uh, I think there's too many bad shows to mention. What do you think? I'm just thinking. Just pick one. I'm just the first one that came to my mind, and it was just about what it was a shit show, and I still tell this story to the day to this day. I used to fill in for Killing Time, and. uh, we went down to uh, like that the Eastern Bethlehem scene, which was like this incredible oh, scene. Yeah, yeah. These three girls used to run the shows. It was mm-hmm. Mary, um, Jen Buck, and and wasn't it was it Mary's sister that ran it? 
that they used to put on these shows, and it was the the, the, the loveliest Jamba. scene. Kristen uh, DeLong was she down there too? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Cute girls from Pennsylvania. They were the sweetest girls, and they put on these great shows. And GB played, and we would all play these shows. There was you know a couple of hour drive, and so I was uh, playing bass with Killing Time, and we went down, and it, I hadn't been there in a couple of months, and the scene had gone through this rapid and uh, um, intense transformation. Uh, with a lot of white power kids showing up. Mm. And, you know, Jesus, New York scene was like, I mean, come on, it was like, you know, there were, there were, it was predominantly white, yeah, but there were, there were, there were uh, Latino kids, there were some African American kids, there were a lot of Jewish kids mm. and whatnot. So w- there was a friend of ours there, I'm not going to name any names of these people, and a friend of ours was there. And all of a sudden, I, I mean, there was just a bad mojo in this place. And these, you know, sk- you know, skinheads, bad skinheads came up, and I'm just standing there, and all of a sudden I saw what our friend just get thrown just went flying by me mm. and um these like bozos came by and they're like screaming you know, jew this and that and i was like you know i had a temper i mean i still mm. have a temper i had a temper back then and i mean i'm not really very threatening and it's probably mm. very stupid with my big very mouth sharp elbows though sharp <laughs> i didn't <laughs> cut, know this cut your yet, eye though. out with I one of those things i didn't know that these were weapons yet yeah. anyway so i got <laughs> in the guy's face and i was like you know this is my friend and i was just like calling him out and i pulled some really silly in retrospect that you know you do when you're 18 19 some really silly i'm from new york shit with them mm-hmm. yeah, these kids weren't impressed at all like, <laughs> i don't give a goddamn but yeah. it was it just escalated and then i remember a couple of our friends it was um squirm and anthony anthony Caminale from killing time just like they lost it i remember anthony picking up a table and slamming it and screaming for everybody to calm down and he anthony diffused the whole freaking situation mm. just by this i guess that angry rageful face that he has yeah. it was kind of amazing but that was that was one of those shows where it was like this is just really really i mean i'm you know telling the story and it's amusing now in retrospect but it was really just kind of disheartening and mm. gross and, yeah. and whatnot yeah I mean, there are a lot, but that's the first one that came to my mind in terms of a show gone awry. The mm-hmm. first Project X show was really bad. Um, it was at the uh, at the Ritz for a Super Bowl, uh-huh. and I think we came on first, and we were all we had just recorded this record, and no one knew who we were, and it was. Uh, I remember this show. We went. We got rushed by uh, Chris Williamson, who's famously, if you've any, watched any other hardcore documentaries on the on the this New York thing, like he probably comes up. And he's just awful, and he's like, you guys are not going to go get to go on if you don't go on right now. I don't know if we were even stalling, but anyway, so mm-hmm. we go up and uh, kind of rushed, and Alex, the guitar player, who's also a guitar player with GB, like, jumps off within, like, a, within 30 seconds, the whole thing just fell apart. He jumped off the monitor, <laughs> uh, off, the, off the drum riser, uh, like, fell, tripped, the guitar's out of tune, won't work, you know, he breaks his wa- his uh, cable, and then my strap falls off, <laughs> and it's just basically the whole thing just goes down into shambles where it's just Purcell and Sam just, like, <laughs> screaming. And and uh, I don't think we ever really regained our composure. We had six songs or five songs, mm-hmm. and it was just... It was just a disaster on writ large in front of the largest possible audience we could have found at that time. <laughs> I remember let's that. Ju- let's just be as bad as we can in front of the most possible amount of people. <laughs> and since it's our first impression, let's just make sure it's a bad one. <laughs> Weren't there people like that still didn't even know that everybody who was in the band? Because that was like a whole mystery thing, I think. I think mm. that was another oh, thing. Oh, everyone was, everyone was buzzing about it. Who could it be? <laughs> who could ND be? 
That's I remember I that. Know. I remember. Pers- I just remember youth? Purcell yeah. coming out wearing the garbage gloves with X's <laughs> on them. I remember that. I mean, the pre-show photo was would have been looked been like these guys are ready for to do battle, <laughs> and then the second we went up, it's just like pop <laughs> all the air just came out of the balloon very quick you could have like a before and after picture <laughs> yeah and just we're looking just disheartening like, just Alex just being like oh man <laughs> <laughs> I mean I was just thinking okay I can balance this out with other good things I can yeah. balance this out with other good things <laughs> it's fine fine live another day live, yeah. fight in a, uh, the next battle yeah. um <laughs> yeah so let's bring it into the uh, present day like yeah. let's talk about what you guys are up to up to now, you know, what you want to talk about as far as that stuff goes? Uh, well, we're not doing the exact same thing we were doing then. <laughs> uh, I'm still doing music in all different ways and forms, and I have uh, a, two different projects, but my main band right now is called Dead Heavens, and it's kind of psych garage, and it's a little bit, I mean, it's kind of sound that I've always been into as, as a fan. Uh, I always feel like garage and kind of proto, 60s proto metal and... Mm-hmm is kind of was the hardcore of its time. Yeah. And um, so I, I relate to its simplicity and I'm, I'm getting really good at guitar. I'm playing a lot of guitar solos and yeah, you song, are. songwriting's kind of taking different directions. And uh, so I've been focusing on, on that. I have another project called uh, Vanishing Life, which is uh, maybe more, uh, I'm just singing in that band mm-hmm. and uh, with some really kind of cool hardcore punk celebs mm-hmm. and uh, a couple guys from Trail of Dead uh, the guitar player Rise Against and uh, actually the drummers in Bad Religion too so it's got this you know that kind of going for it but the music is really really good and uh, and I'm active with GB and, and a lot of my other th- uh, projects so between that and being a family man and mm-hmm. you know friend to, to having a lot of good friendships and I'm interested in um you know, hikings and haikus and gardening. Uh, well, I've in the same capacity as Walter. I have GB. Um, Siv also plays occasionally, not so much. And then I have another uh, project, World Be Free. It's mm-hmm. with um, Sam Siegler, uh, Andrew Klein from Strife, uh, Joe Garlip, and the uh, one, the only, the inimitable Scott Vogel. Mm-hmm. From Terror, yeah, and uh, that record just came out last month, February, mm-hmm. and we've played a couple of shows, and we're trying to book more shows. Uh, it's tough though because we all have such active, uh, yeah. active bands and whatnot, and uh, but it's I'm really proud of it. It's a really good it's a really good record. I think yeah, it is, I yeah. think it was, um, you know, uh, that record was completely written before I ever got into into the picture, and Sam sent me the um, the demos before Vogel had done anything, and. Initially, I just thought it was really, really, um, really great. And then I heard what Vogel did, and then there's a guest vocalist on it too. That kind of uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. everyone's yeah. talking about that guy. Yeah. yeah, he's all right. He's done. He's done some singing and maybe <laughs> a written lot of a song or about two. It. Yeah, ND. Yeah. I don't know what it stands for. <laughs> Not dedicated. But, yeah, uh, no. my friend Ray's, I'm talking about Walter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's really, it's really good. And we have, we have some shows booked. Uh, we're playing Sound and Fury Festival in LA on, in the beginning of June, and then. Um, I was just texting with those guys this morning, and uh, we're just trying to put some other stuff together. So that's exciting. And then, uh, musically speaking, there's this that my the project that never is actually going to happen that I've written like twenty something songs for, but 
I'm just a procrastinator, so mm. maybe that'll see the light of day someday. Let's get a letter right. Let's get a yeah. write in right Let's, now. Let's, somebody call in right now. Can we just make this happen, <laughs> please? Twenty songs on the yeah. line. Call in now. I would want to hear them other than do me. It. But do uh, it. and then I'm do I'm I'm a, I'm a cat dad. So mm. family life. I I live with my girlfriend up in in mm. Harlem, and I I I serve two incredible cats, and I'm trying to I'm I'm petitioning for more. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Cats and Dogs? No. And uh, I watched it with my daughter recently, and the plot of the movie is that cats are the greatest thing that's ever happened. Cats are trying to, <laughs> as they were in, in actually ancient Egypt, the cats ran the society, and the people the were actually again. were following the cats, and the cats are trying to take over once again, but the lovable dogs shut them down. It's a very hmm. uh, anti-cat. Yeah, uh, no, I'm not interested. Piece, which I think is why the movie ultimately. <laughs> fails <laughs> well i mean the ancient egyptians had it right you look at a cat they're completely transcendent mm. beings i mean they're just superior they're clean i mean this is an age-old argument you know there's no winning this one this could yeah, be a part no. two Cats. podcast i mean yeah well anyway maybe this the might be the movie world. for you yeah. all the world's secrets are Cats held up in that one sound right there yeah <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of one single star in it i was oh gosh who is it is it animated or is it like? It's actual? like no, it's where they they do the C, the CGI. very primitive early '90s CGI in their mouths, uh-huh. so that like the cat oh, mouth moves that's and disturbing. And the cat is obviously like a power mad like, you know, we're taking over the world, <laughs> kind oh. of like evil. What kind of anti cat uh, villain? You know, typical. Was Trump behind this? <laughs> And the other cats are like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing my best. <laughs> they have New York accents. Yeah, though? the New York, the cats. Perfect. And then there's like cat ninjas. They dive in and scratch everybody up. And the dogs oh. are, ah, it's actually, now I'm thinking about it. It was Not pretty awesome. Bad. Yeah, it's kind of good. I'll watch it. I'll give it a. All right. Yeah, well, we'll give, it a, we'll give it a watch after this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're good, right? Anything? Yeah. I was hoping there would be more uh, music things, call-ins, but, you know, generally. We can, we can patch those can in Can we later. play some more music stuff, please? You're next. You're, you're, it's your yeah, turn. go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with um, this song, Transit Cop, by the Beastie Boys, the early Beastie Boys. And this is a song that I heard on um, on a, a radio show that was uh, was on in Long Island, a radio station called uh, WLIR. And they had a hardcore radio program called the Midnight Riot. And I think it was on Sunday nights. And uh, that's how I got introduced to hardcore. And when I first heard this song, Transit Cop, it just, it made a, it just like, whoa, the Ramones just weren't as cool to me mm. anymore, that yeah. this was some other kind of sound. Yeah. And the Beastie Boys went on to be, you know, have a, a good, a really good career, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, I would say that. I, you don't have to play it, dude. I don't know. I was just <laughs> thinking about it. I wanted to talk about it. I want to hear it? I tried to put it on Spotify this morning. Wouldn't turn up. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just the connection was not not was That's off. Weird. That guy that did that show donated like everything he got from that radio show. He donated to Stony Brook University, and uh, I went there in the name of research to uh, look through all of it. And it's it's like every letter, every zine, every Holy record. Holy cow! And wow. the, the letters are hilarious. It sucks because I went there and it was definitely like it was a library vibe. They're like, you can look at this stuff. Um, there was like a librarian like over my shoulder the whole time. Like wow. you can take pictures on your phone, but you can't Xerox any of it. You can't do this, you can't do that. And, and I couldn't take pictures of the actual letters. I could take pictures of like oh. a picture in a zine. Oh, that's a shame. But the letters were great because there was like a letter like, I was just going through the letters and they're like a letter from Ray to this guy. 
printed on like the computer paper with the holes. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, just like, asking him to get Youth Today played on it. Oh, just like hi, I'm Rick Capo. You, I'm I, I was in Violent Children. I have a band called Youth Today. Uh-huh. Now we have a seven inch coming out. We'd like you to play it. Blah, That's blah, blah, blah. amazing. And there's letters from Tom Capone that start out like, yes. like I'm in a you know metal band hey, or something, and blah blah blah. And you just read the succession like how they go, and like the next one's got like gigantic X's on it like you know like I'm in a band called X beyond X like here's our demo like wow it's just funny to read cool. through those letters and just see like the changeover of people or just like the, the random people that just wrote this guy in the middle of Long Island just be like hey will you play my record and like you know that was something that was really cool about it I mean I remember Walter and I actually um, Walter Luke Sim and I did um, right before the GB demo came out we did Crucial Chaos oh man that's great and that's to. on YouTube now yeah. and we listened to it and it was interesting because Walter and I had much, much heavier New York accents. You should cut it in and uh, <laughs> in this interview just to just to do the compare and contrast to like how we talk then to how we talk now. Yeah. I miss it. my girlfriend didn't. I want to give it back. Was, she didn't believe it was me at first. I'm like, yeah. no, that's really me. And then she yeah. heard the timbre of my voice, and she was like, holy shit, <laughs> we sounded crazy. I love it. Hey, yo, Walter. Yeah, what about Yeah, where do we record the demo? <laughs> you said my name. I remember at one point, the two things that struck me is that you said Otta. Uh-huh. And, so, and then I, at one point, I thought, I was like, yeah, this guy's staring up controversy. That's why I said it. Like, <laughs> He's staring up controversy. That's Queens. Over here. I'm, we're, over both, here. we're both from Queens. Sid yeah. is from Queens, too. And like, I mean, I it's funny because um, I know my, my girlfriend has the heaviest accent, and, and I oh, pick up on people. Oh, she doesn't have that heavy I accent. love it. He should have. She has pretty a heavy. nice, it's n- very nice It's accent. beautiful. Yeah. I love it. And I'm picking it up again, unbeknownst mm-hmm. to me. And now I'm, like, really happy about it because it'll come out. And I'm just like, wow, yeah, this is cool. I mean, not like that, though. Like, the way we spoke was yeah. just straight up, in. like, northern <laughs> northern Queens. Northern, yeah. uh what, what was the area? the lower story of Kook the Squad? Lower story. <laughs> that was our group, our our gang. The lower story of Kook Squad. East Elmhurst. Blacks. Little little, little uh, flourishes of East Elmhurst. East Elmhurst was definitely a bubble. Well, that's the border town <laughs> yeah. between Jackson Heights yeah. and Astoria. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that's like it goes Astoria. You could hear Elmhurst. slight inflections of the East Elmhurst accent <laughs> floating in now and again. <laughs> especially because you lived, yeah. When, especially when especially you lived in '77, because yeah. I was I was staring uh, East Elmhurst right down. I was yeah, you, right, really, I was, you were right there. Yeah, yeah, the right at the border. Region. You were, yeah, you were in the in the Badlands. Yeah, I was deeply ensconced in Lower Astoria. Yeah, you which were, is technically actually Upper Astoria. It's a beautiful yeah. accent, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, my dad, he says things like uh, like the word "whore." He says "hua." Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome, and 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 you know, like where in East Elmhurst they would say "hua." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was a real hua. In uh, in lower story as she's, she's a hua. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's very subtle, but I, I always find that accent very sweet. Yeah. East Elmhurst. <laughs> a little yeah. It's a little more very refined quaint. East Elmhurst. Very quaint. Yeah. <laughs> like in lower story it's like the cockneys that drop the initial H. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. that's us. <laughs> All right, guys. Do we have anything better to do than sit in a very small room and talk about, <laughs> accents, about accents, Queens accents? I think I think we've maybe, or we've, maybe we should shouldn't let people know that that's this is all we got. Maybe we should take another caller. Yeah, take uh, another caller. <laughs> Ron in East Elmhurst. You're on. <laughs> Are you really from East Elmhurst, Ron? You don't sound like it. We're kind of we're kind of sores of the accent. Yeah. Yeah. You don't sound like it. <laughs> all right, all right. Shut it down. Uh, all right, uh, Arthur Walter. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for doing this. And uh, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to Green Room Radio.